Winter was here, but we are just getting started here on the Game of Thrones rewatch here on post show recaps of season seven, episode three, The Queen's Justice. And now here are the two guys who are always impregnable. I am Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I am uh, not impregnable. It mm. is it is uh, easy to get under my skin. You don't even need uh, to take me to the Citadel to do it. I'm just I'm vulnerable. I'm here. I'm exposed. Okay. All right. So Josh Wiggler, here we are talking about the Queen's Justice. Uh, good outing here for Game of Thrones. Strong outing. Uh, strong Belwas. I wish we could say, but we can't. Uh, here we are. The Queen's Justice. The first ever meeting between Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. Fun one for you to revisit. You're happy with this? Yes. Yes. Uh, am I crazy that uh, did the season seven of Game of Thrones sort of like peak in the middle? Uh, yeah, to a degree, to a degree. I mean, I think uh, the next episode, a lot of people think is the best one. Yeah, I think like this one and then and the next one, I think that they, they might be the, the two best from season seven. Uh, they're both very fun. I mean, it's really fun to see John and Danny in in, a, in the same room for the first time, uh, you know, getting Daenerys to hear about White Walkers for the first time, even Tyrion's really, you know, understanding this for the first time. So once once you're getting like the main threat in the in the universe of the show on the radar of these main characters who have been completely unaware of it and have been in their own worlds for so long that's just going to be exciting and obviously we know where things are going to end up for john and danny by the end of this season so that's pretty exciting as well to kind of uh trace the origins of uh of of this very important relationship okay Josh, anything else uh, Thrones related from the week gone by you want to highlight before we dive into Queen's Justice? There's a little bit of a uh, of a teaser that was released on Sunday ahead of the True Detective finale where mm. HBO is like showing off everything that they've got coming up for the year in 2019. So there's like a tiny bit of new Game of Thrones footage that they revealed. It was um, it's basically they're, they're showing the same thing over and over again. And you can't blame them. I'm kind of of the mind that if I'm HBO, I don't release a trailer. I think you just remind people when the date is and let it sell itself um but there's they're showing like this same scene of, of daenerys's army arriving at winterfell just from different vantage points so the one that they showed uh in this most recent teaser was Arya seeing a dragon for the first time mm-hmm. that that seemed pretty cool how was true detective it was fine yeah it was all right yeah Couldn't emily get- was was more into it than i was didn't seem like people were uh that uh hyped up for it it had like a kind of a, a sort of a sweet ending. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was nice. Mahershala Ali is an incredible actor. Yeah. It's kind of okay. crazy. He's winning an Oscar while his finale is airing at the same time. But mm-hmm. we should all be so lucky. <laughs> First world problem. Yes, absolutely. First one out. Yeah. All right, Josh, let's talk about what's going on here in uh, season seven, episode three. And we start with the reunion of Jon Snow and Tyrion Lannister. This is why this season's really exciting. It's it really is very exciting to see these characters interact for the first time. Like some of the story stuff, whatever, you know, some of like the pacing issues, sure. But it has not yet been really disappointing when you get like Jon Snow and Tyrion in the same room together again for the first time since the first season. Uh, And they really, in a lot of ways, they pick up where they left off. But they've also both been through so much that they're, you know, they're picking up where they left off in terms of their familiarity. But with this this, you know, world weariness that they've got where Jon Snow is not just the bastard of Winterfell anymore this is the king in the north you're speaking to 
Uh, and Tyrion Lannister is much more than just the dwarf of Casterly Rock now. He's the he's the queen's hand. Uh, and this is after he's already been the hand of the king, at least acting hand of the king once upon a time. So it's cool to see John and Tyrion uh, trading barbs and, and being friendly for the first time in a good long while. Yeah, uh, very fun uh, in uh, the exchange of Bastard of Winterfell, dwarf of Casterly Rock. Yeah, it's very like Han and Lando, you know, seeing <laughs> yeah. each other at Cloud City and, uh, you know, like the, the it seems a little charged at first and then they just hug it out and everything's great. And okay. John's not even going to have to get frozen in carbonite for visiting Dragonstone. So it's mm-hmm. working out better well, already. He was served his time beyond the wall. I mean, that's pretty much being frozen. It's like, yeah, you, know, you know, who else was at Cloud City? Who? Lobot. Lobot. Love that guy. Love yeah, that guy. Great, great guy. <laughs> uh, not a lot of people with uh, the full bald head on Game of Thrones. Not enough, certainly. I mean, Randall Tarly, but he's mm-hmm. going to be here for like five minutes. Night King, and he's got like ornaments in terms of like Varys, the spiky. Yeah. Yeah. Varys. Yeah. Not there a lot, could be though. more. We could always have more. Not a lot. Okay. So it's kind of a, uh, sad uh, that John uh, sees like uh, a bunch of Dothraki just like uh, walk off with his uh, little rowboat. Yeah. They yeah. took my boat. <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're just trying to. They're trying to be, you know, very like they're they're welcoming, but not too welcoming. It's pretty clear who's in charge here. And Jon Snow must have known this walking into this situation. I really do like it when Missandei, though, is just like, uh, you know, greeting them. It's a pretty cordial greeting. And then she's like, and turn over your weapons. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a little awkward, but John is ready to play ball. OK, uh, Davos is also uh, fun here. He talks about how uh, this place has really changed since the last time he was here. Yeah, because there's like Missandei of Noth here, and he's like, oh, what's going on here? What are all these Unsullied all about? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so as uh, we're seeing Jon Snow and Tyrion, you know, walk up to uh, Dragonstone, uh, they're talking about, uh, you know, everything that has been going on, and uh, there's a, uh, a, you know, some trading the stories, you know, how did you get to become the uh, king in the north from the uh, Night's Watch and Tyrion ends up saying about how it has uh, not gone well for the Stark men when they travel south. It reminds him of that. Yeah, it's not usually a good thing for for the Starks to to go south. There's also we're, we're going past it a little quickly. There's a there's a quick exchange between John and Tyrion about Sansa mm-hmm. and Tyrion, like saying it was a sham marriage. It was not consummated. John did not want to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion is just letting him know that is that is not what's going on. I love the line where he says she's much smarter than she lets on, and John says she's starting to let on. I, I love that. I think that's great. As a fansa, I'm a big fan of that but yes Tyrion tells John that Stark men do not fare well when they travel south John says I'm not a Stark which mm-hmm. is, as it turns out he's a Targaryen so yeah he's not not necessarily wrong nailed it uh but before they can uh, talk any further about that they, uh, they just get like buzzed by uh Drogon fly by yeah yeah you don't get used to that no, I think anyone who sees a dragon for the first time is going to have a big reaction. Uh, and so John is kind of looking at this thing and little does he know he's like he's like looking at his own destiny. Right. Like this is his thing. Like he's like, whoa, I don't know it yet, but I kind of feel like I might I might fly on one of those things someday. Wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, 
the Lady Melisandre is watching all of these events uh, transpire. And uh, I can't believe she didn't see Varys following her up uh, this mountain. Varys is very sneaky. <laughs> very sneaky. Yeah. And so uh, Varys is like, isn't this weird that you told us to bring Jon Snow here and then you're like hiding while he's here? Yeah, Varys is never going to whiff on an opportunity to to drag a red priest or priestess. He hates magic. He hates all of this stuff. So he sees Melisandre like being contemplative and alone, kind of sneaking away. Varys isn't going to let that go unchecked. So he's like picking up on the whole thing that Melisandre is uncomfortable around these people, as she ought to be. Last time uh, she saw John and Davos, they threatened her life. Uh, she is incentivized to not be killed at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's thinking about getting out of here she's gonna go home she's gonna go home for a while she's got some things to do yeah she's like uh look i got them together brought fire and ice together my work here is done yeah i said the thing i said the title Mm -hmm. it's good that's it uh i need to go back to uh volantis perhaps yeah she's gonna go to volantis and vera says i think you should stay there i don't think you should come back to westeros you're not gonna be safe here uh, this is when Melisandre says something that is very charged. Uh, she says, oh, I will return, dear spider, one last time. I have to die in this strange country, just like you. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's, not, that's not cool. Is that it for Melisandre this season? That's it for Melisandre this mm. season. We have, we have not seen her since this moment. Okay, so uh, we are expecting uh, one last time out for Melisandre in season eight. I feel like Melisandre is the easiest prediction for somebody to die in the final season. She just said it. She just said, <laughs> like, I'm going to, oh, I have to come back to Westeros one last time. I have to die in the final season of Game of Thrones. But how? But how indeed? And I, I think it's a good question. I, I think it's hard. It's hard to know exactly how that's going to play out. Um, there is still the the loose end of when she met Arya Stark back in season three. And she says to Arya, uh, we will meet again when she looks at Arya. Mm-hmm. So is, is Arya going to kill Melisandre? What kind of beef would Arya have with Melisandre to, uh, to cause her to kill her? I think that, um, one of the things I, I've been chewing on that question a little bit more, I think Arya had Melisandre on her list at one point after she was involved in taking Gendry away from the Brotherhood Without Banners. But I got to imagine that she's going to let that go once she meets up with Gendry again, which you would assume would happen fairly early in the next season. So what reason would Arya have to like kill Melisandre? What if it's like a mercy killing? What if Melisandre is wounded? She's going to die anyway. Arya's in the vicinity and Arya can give her the gift of mercy. I guess so. I mean, it seems just kind of like a random thing to have it go down uh, that way. Uh, what if Gendry ends up being the one to take out Melisandre? With like, he just has like a big bag of leeches. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe He's is like, he mad at her? I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> just dumps a bag of leeches on her and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Uh, are you convinced that Arya will have to kill Melisandre? Well, I think I think that that would be the only scenario that I could see is if it's like some kind of uh, Melisandre is super wounded. She's going to die anyway. And she gets to have like some final moment where Arya shows up and, and kills her. I think I could see that. I think that that's a possibility. Not but, Davos. Uh, Justice for no. Shireen. 
No, I don't think Davos is going to ever have like a moment of vengeance. I think Davos is just going to have like a really down the line ending would be Mm. my guess. I think he's just going to be able to kind of just like waltz through this thing. Okay. All right. So let's go to the big throne room at Dragonstone and for our meeting of fire and ice, Jon Snow meets Daenerys Targaryen for the first time. It's great. Uh, it's it's this is so hyped. It's so long awaited. It's tense. It's funny. It's sexy. It's it's everything Whoa. you want it to be. Yeah, it's everything. So the <laughs> Missande gives the long introduction of all of uh, Danny's titles, uh, the many, many credits on her resume uh, presents Daenerys Targaryen. And then uh, Davos uh, responds. This is Jon Snow. He's king in the north. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. They're very plain up north, you know? Yeah. Not a, not a lot of bells and whistles. Yeah. Okay. And so things are tense. They're, they're not on the same page. Daenerys uh, wants Jon Snow to bend the knee. Yeah, that's what she wants. She wants Jon Snow to give in. She wants him to just immediately proclaim that he is going to be Team Targaryen all the way. She's very disappointed when Jon says, that's not the reason I came. Uh, and it's like any any pretense that existed before quickly falls apart. Like this almost goes very poorly, very fast. Yeah, well, it's starting to to fall apart. It's getting away from them. Uh, so she wants him to bend the knee. He doesn't want to. He wants to talk about, uh, you know, hey, that, uh, hey, your dad killed my grandfather. Yeah. Your dad was a bad dude. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, my dad was a bad dude. I'm not my dad. I'm great. I'm pretty cool. Bend the knee. The Starks and the Targaryens will be, will be totally buddies like it was before. It's going to be great. Uh, and John says, listen, uh, even though you're not guilty of your father's stuff, I'm not beholden to our ancestral bond. Like, that's not the reason. Uh, John says, the real reason I'm here is because I need your help and you need mine. Mm. Yeah. Uh, That's the one thing they can agree on in terms of like, uh, look, uh, let's not hold people accountable for what their parents did. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Okay. Uh, But why do I uh, uh, need to help you? It's, It's the army of the dead. The the only the only thing that matters, Cersei and everybody else, were children playing at a game, screaming that the rules aren't fair. <laughs> uh, did he just call me a baby? Yeah, she what? doesn't like she doesn't like it. She doesn't like it. He basically he calls her a child, and he doesn't like that. Tyrion's like, it's a figure of speech. Yeah, it's, he's like, uh, a, well, I joke. believe he did say that we're all being children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like this guy. Yeah. I like how John says, everyone you know will die before winter's over if we don't defeat the enemy to the north. And Daenerys says, you're the enemy of the north. I like that. It's mm-hmm. felt lots of, lots of great wordplay, some excellent dialogue back and forth in the scene. Mm-hmm. But J- John unrolls the, the big reveal. He, he says, the army of the dead is on the march. The, the White Walkers are on their way. And Tyrion, uh, do you think I'm crazy? Do you think I'm a liar? I know you don't know me well, but what do you think about all of that? And Tyrion says, no, you're definitely not either of those things. It's like, cool. Now that that's established, I'm telling you, Army of the Dead, it's a real thing. They're going to come down to Westeros. If they get past the wall and we're all fighting, we're toast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hard to do anything with that information. You know, kind of sounds like a crazy person. 
Yeah, well, the thing is, like, Daenerys isn't even going to listen to it because she's, like, she's so fully Team Targaryen at this point. She's buying her own hype. Uh, she's talking about... So that all sounds really interesting, but I have risen against every single odd. I've gone through so much horrible stuff. I've been betrayed. I've been defiled. I've been in exile. I didn't have faith in the gods and myths and legends. I only had faith in myself, and I've done all of these incredible things. I'm going to unite the Seven Kingdoms. And uh, there's really nothing you can do about that. And John's like, you'll be ruling over a graveyard if we don't defeat the Night King. Mm-hmm. And I still want to know how he knows that the Night King is called the Night King. Mm. <laughs> um, hmm. Did... I just don't think that ever really happened for us. Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, did um, he read he, the subtitles? Yeah, he read the subtitles. He, read, he, he but, watched it on HBO Go and yeah. got the behind the scenes. Info. Is there like a legend from the free folk that they passed maybe. along? Maybe they heard well, about there's, it. There's stories of the Night King as as it relates to the book, but it's relatively different than the Night King. It's very different, really, from the Night King that we're seeing on the show, unless George R. R. Martin has something very interesting up his sleeve in a future book. Uh, so I don't know why he would just like know the Night King unless in the universe of Game of Thrones, we just want to allow that the Night King is like the fabled ruler of the White Walkers. And now they're just they're convinced that it's real because they've seen the Night King. I, yeah. I guess I'm fine with that ultimately. So John is really like, OK, hurry up. We don't have any time. We got to move this along. And Dave's like, well, then just bend the knee. That'll only take a second. You just bend yeah. the knee and then we'll uh, let's let's figure this whole thing out. And John's like, ah, but my, my knees are bad. It hurts to do. Why should I? Uh, yeah, uh, he, has no, he has no reason to, to believe her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can't get on the same page. They can't. They keep trying. You know, everybody is like saying a thing, trying to, to convince the other. Yeah. yeah. Davos is like, you should listen to Jon Snow. This dude literally died. He literally died for the people uh, that. Uh, 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 <laughs> John's like, don't talk about the literally dying. On the Iron Day. Yeah. Yeah. So they, he shuts up Davos at that point. Uh, eventually, Zaris is going to come in and say, like, uh, look, I need to talk to you. Something, yeah. something bad happened. We got we to gotta bust this up. Like, so all right. Very, Okay, so go to your room, and then John wants to know, am I your prisoner? No, not yet. Not yet. That's a great line. Yeah. Okay. All right. Suggestion. Very suggestive. Of the future. <laughs> All right. K- so some kinky acts. Whoa. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think it was uh, that suggestive. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Boy. Uh, Fifty Shades of Greyjoy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that did not have a happy ending. No. <laughs> You're talking about the trilogy? Yeah, well, yeah. The, 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 you know, you know the thing. I think there might have been several, but um, I'm a f- book reader. Uh-huh, got it. Yeah. Uh, so, Josh, let's talk about what the Targaryens have discovered about what happened to the fleet. Bad things. Uh, the Ironborn and the Dornish were attacked en route to Dorne. A couple of ships escaped. The rest have been sunk or captured. Alarion and the Sand Snakes are dead or captured. The Greyjoys are dead or captured. Just about all of them, but not quite all of them. One Greyjoy did uh, make it out, and it was Theon. And yeah. they capture, or they, they, they bring him up onto the deck of a Greyjoy ship. And uh, they know what happened. They could tell. Like, if, if Theon had tried to protect Yara, he would have been killed. Uh, so if he's alive, then it's because he didn't really fight. 
that's their their logic. I feel like they're making a lot of assumptions. But like, they're all sound. I mean, they're ultimately sure, but like, couldn't there have just been like uh, like a big explosion on the ship and Theon got knocked out in the in the backdraft mm. or something like that? I don't know if that's how backdrafts work. Yeah. I think they just know Theon's reputation of that he's uh, kind of a loser. And he's very craven. Yeah, I think that they know that, like, uh, it, the Greyjoys uh, gossip a lot. Yeah. Well, there's going to be a lot of talk about Greyjoys in King's Landing, because mm-hmm. if, if Theon is showing up here as a, as a real loser, then Uncle Euron is the, is the cock of the walk. In yeah. King's Landing. Yeah, so they're having like a whole parade of uh, Euron coming down the street with uh, Yara and then with uh, Alaria Sand and Tyene. Yeah, this is the first time anyone's been happy to see Euron in the streets of King's Landing. Yeah. Um, he does not present Yara Greyjoy as a prisoner to Cersei, correct? I don't think so. I think I'm he's not just sure kinda... why he, she needed to be in the parade. He's just hanging on to her. Could have just left she's, her at, on the ship. She's like his new reek, which is a scary prospect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so he's talking a lot of trash to Yara as uh, he's walking down the street. Boy, the people in uh, King's Landing, they are just they are all about their up for going on the streets and just spitting on people, throwing filth. That, that is like the number one pastime in King's Landing. Yeah, anytime somebody can be publicly shamed, it's the best day in King's Landing. Yeah, I had a sort of um, a meta thought as I was watching this that basically is social media the modern day equivalent of this, Josh, where then, you know, famous people get dragged through the street and then like uh, the, you know, general public can just like uh, spew uh, like vile insults at them. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we should all get off social media and return to our lives. <laughs> they should just, you know, we drag people through like the public square. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. It's awful. I mean, mm-hmm. you hit it. You hit it. Why are we doing what we do? Why aren't we just like going to be like park rangers or something? I, I don't know. I don't know that. You never uh, thought you never thought about it that way. Yeah, I didn't know where we factored into this equation. Well, whatever you decide, you're taking me with you. So we got to talk about this thoroughly. <laughs> we'll talk offline. Okay, let's go to the Red Keep and see uh, Euron promised a gift for Cersei and he has delivered. He's got sand snakes. Mm -hmm. And again, like the first time anyone's been happy to see sand snakes. Cersei is thrilled. This Mm -hmm. is a very good gift. Uh, When when Euron presents them uh, and uh, he presents them and then like Ilaria is like spinning on the floor. She can't quite hit Cersei. Uh, She doesn't quite have the range Cersei is very happy about this. Uh, Euron says there's only one reward he wants. And Cersei says, you'll have what your heart desires once the war is won. Whoa. So she's basically saying, you're my guy. Once we once we defeat everybody, you're the you're going to be the dude up on the throne and this will be great. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, if I'm Euron, I think that maybe uh, I think he's being sold a bill of goods here. Yeah, for sure. And maybe he knows that, you know, maybe his whole plan is like to get close to Cersei and then when it's time to just like kill her and take over. Yeah, uh, he is uh, continuing to uh, bully Jamie Lannister. He's really terrible to Jamie. <laughs> right. 
Right. Uh, he's asking uh, Jamie what Cersei uh, likes in a. Uh, 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 I don't even know the right word. Uh, a finger in the bun cake. Whoa. I well, is I, what he says. I wasn't even going to. I was going to talk about uh, in terms of Cersei's preferences. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got a lot of questions. He has yeah. questions for Jamie says, now that we're going to be brothers, I'd love to just like. I'd love to know any yeah. advice. And he like he's very crude to Jamie and Jamie wants to kick his butt, but Euron's out of there before he can do anything about it. Yeah, we got a complaint this week. I don't know if you saw it on uh, Twitter, Josh, that uh, one, one of our listeners complained that uh, we don't do enough talk of uh, the sexual stuff that happens on Game of Thrones. And we're ruining the the rewatch for this listener. Really? Yes. Is that like, real? What do you want us to say? Because uh, we yada yada uh, when uh, Grey Worm and Missandei got together last week. I mean, they had sex and it was very nice and I'm thrilled for them. But I mean, this isn't porn <laughs> show recaps. We're not like going to go into like vivid detail about everything. Yeah, it was a, it was a great moment. Like, I think it was a it was a beautifully acted scene. <laughs> it was it was excellent. And I think that it's great character growth for both of those characters. Are we the go-to guys for this? <laughs> I didn't think so. I just thought that was a weird complaint. Huh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't see it. Tight filters on my Twitter, I guess. I didn't see that come through. <laughs> okay, so I apologize. That hopefully, I mean, uh, I mean, Josh was very descriptive about what Euron said that he wanted. Yeah, I mean that's what he says on the show. Mm-hmm. He said he, the the exact line of dialogue. In case you need to to cover your ears for a minute, the exact line of dialogue. Euron asks her, asks Jamie, does she like it gentle or rough? A finger in the bum. Mm-hmm. That's the question he asks. Yeah, Jamie doesn't like the question, and then Euron leaves, and that's the end of the scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, is that uh, was that good? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not that know. person. I'm no just idea. relaying a message to you. I had no idea. Okay. All right. Let's then uh go to the dungeons uh beneath the red cape and we have uh Hilaria Sand and Tyene and they and they are tied up. Yeah. Uh they're in a bad way. They are they're in bad shape. They're at the mercy of Cersei and the mountain is here and Kyburn is here. And Cersei lives for this stuff now. This is this is Cersei's favorite day. Any day that she can do something like this is the best day for Cersei Lannister, where she could just like really emotionally and psychologically torture her enemies. It's not enough to just like kill somebody. She has to kill them very slowly and painfully. I don't know who has it worse. These two are Septa Unella. Uh, but this is this is at least on par with what's going on with Septa Unella, where Cersei's gonna monologue about how you know you took you know I I think about uh, your husband's skull breaking like a like a cracked duck egg and it was it was amazing it was such a great day and then you killed my daughter and that was horrible I still I still think about her and this is like the the rare moment of humanity in Cersei, in Cersei that still exists I I felt like when she goes like why did you do that like there's this moment where she like looks Alaria in the eye and it seems like you can see like the wounded Cersei still there. And like she almost like catches herself, and that's why she's like, it doesn't matter now. And she starts like moving on to the rest of her vengeance scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- that Cersei still exists somewhere in there. It's just hard to find. Okay. 
So Cersei uh, is talking about how she really struggled with how should she kill Alaria Sand? How should she kill Tyene? Uh, she racks her brain. She doesn't sleep well and then spends all her time thinking about this. Yeah, this is all that she's got going on anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- this is, a, I think, a theme of this episode here of, you know, uh, being able to, you know, uh, imagine or uh, have visions about, you know, what you're doing, what your opponents are doing. It comes up uh, a number of times in this episode. Yeah, I think so. I think that and, you know, not for nothing too. this episode being called the Queen's Justice. It's not just about everything that's going on with Daenerys, but this, it's also about Queen Cersei. And this is the justice that she meets out is this like incredible slow torture that she is. Uh, she is putting the, the sand snakes through. Mm. And so we get that this reveal that uh, Cersei is going to have a roundabout is going to be fair trade. Because she is going to then do the same poison that sh- that Alaria did to Marcella. Yeah, and you can you can kind of like tell certainly on the rewatch like she's got like the lipstick on, so like you can yeah. kind of see this coming a little tiny bit. Uh, and so she kisses Tyene, and the moment that she kisses Tyene, Tyene looks at Alaria, and we get one last mama. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So a little bit of a callback to the most recent episode. Why is this poison always administered via lipstick? It's great cinematically. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, but it, that what part of that plan, like how, how did Kyburn get that? Because he wasn't there. They weren't on the dock with Alaria. I, I know this is I'm, I'm reading too much into this. No, but- I think that you could you could say that Jamie or Bronn, they saw Alaria kiss Marcella and then Marcella died and they could put two and two together. And they're like, oh, yeah, she probably had the, the poison lips thing going on. Mm, OK. All right. Uh, it seems very dangerous. Uh, to uh, to administer poison this way. This is how poison ivy used to do it. Mm, yeah. Okay. So you uh, should have been wearing rubber lips, right? And so, luckily, Kyburn has the antidote ready to go. And so uh, now, uh, Alaria has to not only watch her daughter die, but then she has to uh, then watch her decompose. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, I don't think we'll ever cut to this. <laughs> You know, I think that <laughs> you think we'll get a shot in season eight of Hilarious and uh, still uh, hanging on. No, I think that they, you know, just like Hilaria is going to have to watch a horror show unfold for the rest of the, her life. What little of it still exists. I think in our minds, we're going to have to we're going to have to picture this ourselves, uh, which is which is terrible. It's almost worse than what they would come up with in terms of like the makeup effects would probably be less frightening than your own mental picture of what Cersei's putting Hilaria through. And I think even if you don't love the Dorne storyline, even if you didn't like the sand snakes, this is such a nightmarish way to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is awful. This is terrible. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough way to go. Bad way to go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Josh, can you talk us through uh, Jamie and Cersei here? following this uh, jamie and cersei okay so jamie is in the red keep he's there he's uh he's got his uh his his hand he's mm-hmm. taking off the hand he's putting it on the table he's gonna have a glass of wine because it's the end of a long day and golly he's deserved it he deserves it he's earned it he's gonna drink it and then cersei shows up and cersei's just killed some of her enemies in this 
really ruthless way. Uh, and really so gets gonna, her going. And she's feeling really good about it. And so she comes in and she starts kissing Jamie. And Jamie says, no, nah, I'm not really in the mood. I was kind of, this is just going to be like a solo drink night. And Cersei's like, no, nah, we're going to do it. Uh, and so, and so Cersei pushes Jamie onto the bed and gets him, gets him naked. <laughs> and they do, they do it. They have sex. And uh, then we see them like a little bit later after they've had sex. I'm sure other things happen, <laughs> but we didn't see it on screen. So much like the Sand Snake death, you could just leave this to the imagination. I mean, that was a little bit of a yada yada, not a, not a, a complete blow by blow account of the affair. I didn't see anything. Yeah. I didn't see anything. You don't see anything. They don't show you anything. Okay. Right. I didn't know. I didn't know that this was a thing. <laughs> I genuinely didn't. I'm very surprised at this. <laughs> it is for somebody. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I had no idea. I'm sorry. Genuinely, I'm very sorry. I I, I hate to ruin your rewatch. Honestly, I'm not even being sarcastic. <laughs> okay, so there's a knock at the door the next morning. Jamie's like, "Oh, we gotta hide." Uh, so she's like, "Come on, he's such a baby. I'm the queen. <laughs> I'm the queen." What well, are you going to do? A, yeah, that's where she's at. She could, you know, she could, I don't know. I was going to say something. I don't want to say it, but she's, you know, she's in, she's large and in charge and nobody can come after her. She can't, she can't be touched. She, the, the, there, the, there are no more norms. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. <laughs> she's shattering all the norms of the old conventions. They yes. don't matter anymore. So incest can be best once again. Okay. Cersei has an appointment and iron bankers are here. From Bravos. Iron Bankers are here, yeah. I'd rather be talking about the sex than the Iron Banking, <laughs> personally. <laughs> okay. All right. So Tycho from the Iron Bank is back. Yeah. Tycho Nestoris, who is like <laughs> probably the most forgettable, important-ish character in Game of Thrones. Important-ish, I think, might be a little bit of a stretch. Well, he's, he's like funding Cersei's operations. Mm-hmm. So and he he funded Stannis, so that was fairly important. That helped get Stannis up to the the far north. It's helping Cersei. She's going to be able to take on Highgarden uh, and all mm-hmm. of this stuff. So he's a, as a as a bankroller, as a behind the screens, uh, behind the scenes purse string puller. Uh, I think that he's a very important character, but he's just important ish in terms of like I don't know like having any kind of like really memorable stuff to do in the Mm -hmm. show. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Cersei, it's been uh, well established that the Lannisters uh, are sort of a cash poor uh, following. There's uh, no gold left on Casterly Rock. And so uh, the Iron Banker Tycho is uh, talking about, you know, this is a bit of a dire situation. And we know that gold wins wars but cersei uh is trying to get the iron bank maybe to put their faith back on the lannisters they have a little bit of a back and forth about like who you should be betting on in this war uh cersei is like i understand like there's reasons to think that daenerys targaryen's got this she's got the dragons that's pretty cool I've got the narrow sea. Euron Greyjoy is loyal to me. Uh, Danny's dragons, maybe not as invulnerable as some think. I don't know how into archery you are, but I could show you a really cool crossbow that I've got in my basement. So she's trying to like really sell him on the fact that like, if you bet on me, you're going to get your money's worth and then some. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, he's like, well, we don't bet. And like, all right, uh, that's a fan. Don't get into semantics with me, Tycho. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so uh, Cersei reminds uh, Tycho, uh, you know, uh, that uh, Daenerys Targaryen, uh, she's a real uh, revolutionary, right? How has that fared uh, with all of her uh, big uh, campaign promises? Uh, how, how's that going to uh, hand, uh, work with the banking industry? Yeah, it might not be good for for the Iron Bankers if Daenerys mm-hmm. Targaryen wins. And because I care so little about the Iron Bank, I've never really thought about it from that perspective. But mm-hmm. Cersei's right. Like, it makes sense for Tycho to, like... Like, yeah, I probably should bet on Cersei because even if I bet on Daenerys, like she's probably just going to shut us down and that will be the outcome if we're lucky. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that Cersei is uh, reminding the banker about the, the hey, like, uh, I'll keep the establishment. Yeah, I'll keep it status quo. We're going to mm-hmm. get rich, get rich quick. Okay. Stay here for two weeks and, you know, just live it up in King's Landing. Go spit on some people on the streets. And in two weeks, I'm going to have all of your money back. Yeah. Okay. He's like, okay, you're making some sense. So uh, we uh, have some more good news. Really, uh, Cersei is really on a roll. Cersei has a pretty good season seven, I would mm-hmm. say. You know, yeah. Maybe a little rocky at the very end, but even then, like, it's mostly pretty good. Out of nowhere. We really didn't see a path for her coming into season seven. I mean, I guess she does have a lot of people get killed uh, after the the hijacking of High Garden, but like she gets the money, the money makes it through. So that's mm-hmm. you know that's all she really cares about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, back on Dragonstone, uh, Tyrion. Uh, that he ends up having a, a chat with uh, Jon Snow. Tyrion was looking for a, a good place to brood, but Jon Snow does it so much better. Yeah, it's just like standing there like a Creed album cover, just like standing out over and looking looking at the calm sea and thinking about all of his his bad responsibilities back north. Uh, and Tyrion wants to wants to be in this spot, but Jon Snow is taking the spot and he looks so much better doing it is what Tyrion says. Mm-hmm. And Jon Snow is like, look, you don't understand. Night King is coming. We're all going to die. Uh, Tyrion is uh, more upset about the uh, missing fleet that they uh, lost on the way to Dorne. This is a pressing issue for Tyrion because Tyrion, he also has bet on Daenerys Targaryen. He believes in Daenerys Targaryen, but everything that he is now living for is to get Danny on the throne. And that's going to be hard without ships. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, John calls out Tyrion that uh, you don't believe in uh, the, the Night King. You said that there were grumpkins and snarks. Remember? Yeah. yeah. Grumpkin and, grumpkins and snarks is a great name for a Game of Thrones podcast. If that's not already taken. <laughs> I feel like or a prequel. Somebody, yeah. If somebody hasn't done that, they should really go out and do it. I really mm-hmm. don't know. I think that's a good one. You think so? Yeah, I think it would be good. Hmm. Okay. Like a very like grumpy, snarky rewatch of Game of Thrones, I think would be good. Okay. And I'm not here for it, but I think somebody else should be. Uh, you know, Tyrion, a little patronizing. He's like, no, I do believe you. I do believe you. Yeah. You're an honest man. Yeah. And he had already, you know, he had heard from uh, Once Upon a While. He had heard from Lord Mormont and the the rest of the Night's Watch. They had sent word about what had happened with the white at the at Castle Black. Mm-hmm. So this isn't like the fully the first time Tyrion is hearing about this. It just wasn't really didn't seem like a, a now issue 
back when Tyrion was working for his family. And now that Jon Snow is here and he's talking about the severity of what's going on, Tyrion buys it. Okay. So Danny is going to uh, meet up with Tyrion uh, because Tyrion said that, look, he, he'll help Jon out in some way. And that way is the dragon glass. Hey, Danny, let's just let him, you know, do whatever he has to do in those dragon glass mines. You don't even care about this. Wasn't this half the reason why John came in the first place? Seems like, like, yeah, he didn't really bring it up. Uh, maybe he was waiting for the right time in this negotiation. She's got dragons. She's got dragon glass. That was like what he said. He's like, I got to go and check that out. Why didn't he? Why didn't he bring up the dragon glass sooner? But he's he's bringing it up now. He's got he's yeah. got an ally in Tyrion. I mean, from a negotiation standpoint, things were not going well. And so I think that if he brings it up, then I think she's likely to say, no, no, I'm not giving you that. Uh, but this was like an oh, by the way. And uh, maybe that sort of like helped his stance because he didn't seem desperate for it. So he's he's brought it up with Tyrion now and Tyrion is bringing it up with Daenerys. And even right now, Daenerys is like so annoyed with Jon Snow that she's not super excited at the prospect. Uh, but she's she's willing to at least listen to Tyrion, considering that Tyrion is her hand. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Daenerys is asking Tyrion, what do you think about this army of the dead? Do you think that's real? And Tyrion hopes not, but, you know, you shouldn't, you know, just believe something because you hope that it's not real. Mm -hmm. uh, he said a wise man said that once and Daenerys said, which wise man? And Tyrion said, I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. really remember. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, are you passing off your own no. quotes? Are you retweeting yourself again, yeah, Tyrion? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's no. doing. No, uh, no. no he's, he's retweeting his throwaway account. Yeah, his burner account. <laughs> his burner account. Uh, so he's like, "Come on, just give them the dragon glass. Give them something. By giving them nothing, it's fine." Yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's you know, it's better than nothing, and it keeps him occupied while we focus at the task at hand. And so Daenerys seems now at this point like, okay, that's that seems fair enough. Hey, by the way, Tyrion, um, did you hear that thing that Davos said about Jon Snow like getting literally weird? killed? Wasn't that strange? Isn't that weird. Yeah, Jerry like, says, eh. no, nah, it's boring up north. You got to allow them their flights of fancy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Daenerys is going to then uh, seek out John, and they're going to have a conversation. They're looking at the dragons, and uh, John is, is very impressed with the dragons. And Daenerys says uh, she named them for her brothers, uh, yeah. Viserys and Rhaegon. They're both gone yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. John's like really into the dragons. Like the way that like a, a five year old is really into like toy trucks is like what John is like when, when he's around the dragons. He's really a big, big fan. Um, and, you know, when he finds out from Daenerys that she lost uh, her brothers, uh, John can relate. John knows what it's like to lose. He can also relate. And he, and he also can relate that uh, my father's name is Rhaegon also. Yeah. No, he doesn't know. He doesn't know oh, about Rhaegon. Rhaegon okay. Targaryen. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's so weird because your brother's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes. And, and Jon Snow has lost uh, two brothers. So they have that in common. 
Yeah, they've got they've got that in common. Uh, so John is gonna is gonna and also ask, a, a lot of the same relatives and also uh, in common. A big family tree that's just kind yes. of wrapped up together. The vines. Uh, John wants to know, like, what do you think about the dragon glass thing? Is that reasonable enough? Uh, and Daenerys says, like, okay, uh, listen, I'm not gonna let Cersei stay on the Iron Throne. I haven't changed my mind about which kingdoms belong to the throne. Jon Snow hasn't changed his mind about that either. Uh, nonetheless, irregardless, Daenerys is going to allow Jon to mine the dragon glass and forge weapons from it. This mm-hmm. is uh, very good news. Yeah. And Jon asks her, well, then, then so do, you, do you believe me now? Like, uh, get to your dragon glass, buddy. I'm thinking about it. Don't push me. <laughs> Okay, uh, we go back to Winterfell and uh, Sansa is uh, in charge and she is um, calling a lot of shots at Winterfell. She's shot calling at Winterfell. <laughs> She's taking meetings with uh, with a few people along the way. She's got Littlefinger there. She's got freaking Jan Royce <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> yeah, Jan Royce has now become like a Sansa's like a little errand boy intern. I was like, uh, is there leather on those breastplates? I think we need some leather on this. Uh, 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 I'll see to it at once. Uh, right away. Sansa. <laughs> yeah, this is a good fate for Jan Royce as far as I'm concerned. Then have him tend to the leather on the breastplates. Yes. Send Jan Royce away. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even. I don't even hate Jan Royce. I just. I just don't like how he's. He's just constantly putting his nose where it doesn't belong. <laughs> why is he still here? Even why is he such a big deal at Winterfell? I know he's a big deal in the in the area, but he's like got. He's like second in command. I think here. they paid him for like uh, ten episodes, and they have nothing to do with him. Man, I, he has the best name. Jan Royce is such a great name. <laughs> Okay, so I'm starting to turn around on Jan Royce. Jan Royce is now my favorite character from a couple of minutes ago. From a couple seconds ago, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Sansa, you know, she's giving everybody orders, and uh, Littlefinger's like, "Wow, you were meant for command. Yeah. Command suits you. It suits you well." God, you know, I know that already. Yeah, you know, you're the you're the best. You're the best at this. Have I told you lately that I love you? Uh, and you know, little finger, he's trying to do his little finger thing here where he's really once again, just trying to put the, the bug in Sansa's ear about why she should be in charge and blah, blah, blah. Anything he can do to make that image of the two of them together on the iron throne happen. Yeah. Well, he's just pissing her off more because he's like, and let's not forget about Cersei because I know her better than her. Like, Oh no. Oh my God. No, you don't. Yeah. I know her. I know her better. Oh, she killed my mom. She so my dad. annoying. Yeah. Get away from me. Yeah. And uh, Littlefinger is trying to uh, say to her, like, look, that just got to think about all the possibilities. Yeah. Think about everything. He has a good, a good line. I think that this was in the trailer for the season where he's like, don't fight in the north or the south. Fight every battle, everywhere, always in your mind. Everyone is your enemy. Everyone is your friend. Every possible series of events is happening all at once. Live that way, and nothing will surprise you. Everything that happens will be something that you've seen before. Yeah. Littlefinger doesn't really practice what he preaches, uh, I don't think. 
based no, on how I, this season. I, no, I I'm coming around on it to a certain degree. I think once you once you do come to it from the perspective of like Littlefinger does not have it all figured out. He makes some really solid bets. He's kind of a terrible person, and so a lot of the time the terrible things do pan out in his favor. But he's not like the all knowing master manipulator. And him underestimating this person who he thinks he has under his thumb is going to be the thing that undoes him. I'm not mad at it. I'm not terribly mad at it. I think that it makes sense. I think for him to feel like he is right about this, that he's got the highest opinion of himself. I think that's like the trick to Littlefinger. Nobody is a bigger Littlefinger fan than Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Sansa is interrupted. Uh, somebody's at the gate. Yeah. And we were in for another Stark family reunion because uh, Lord Brandon has returned. Okay, Bran Stark is back. Uh, not a super emotional reunion of Sansa and Bran, uh, really on either side. No, uh, well, because uh, Bran is, you know, he's got all the three-eyed raven powers now, and uh, Isaac Hempstead Wright really does play him in this very detached way here yes. in, in season very seven. Emo. Which was, it's very emo and it was it was a it was i think i don't know if it was the actor's choice or if it was a directing choice i think probably somewhere in between but it is a it's a real sudden shift even from season six when there are some moments where you know when bran uh when bran and mira leave uh benjen when benjen goes away and Bran like jacks back into the Weirwood tree to to download some more intel. And he's already like downloaded all of this stuff from the Three-Eyed Raven on the ride. He's still kind of talking with some emotion. But now throughout the rest of the season, he's just very removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard, hard to know exactly why that shift occurred. And well, maybe he's just traveling so much through uh, space and time and he's really overwhelmed. Uh, he's seen some stuff. He's seen some stuff and uh, he'll tell Sansa about what he has seen at the old weirwood tree. Yeah. Uh, she says, I wish John was here. And he goes, yes, I need to speak to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Sansa's like, well, you're going to be Lord of Winterfell now, Bran. Yeah. We're also all waiting for Bran to speak to John. That would be great. Uh, Bran says, I can never be the Lord no, of Winterfell. No, I can't do that. Can't it's do that. Not, no, a, not no a job do. for me. Yeah. I'm the yeah. three-eyed raven now. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so she's like, what, what does that mean? And he's like, ah, it's hard to explain. You wouldn't get it. Yeah, I can see you all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but he's seen everything, including, uh, you know, Sansa talks about how, you know, uh, she's been through a lot, too. Uh, and he's like, um, so I'm, I'm very sorry about everything that happened to you. I was there. I saw that night on your, uh, on your wedding night. Uh, Sansa's like, uh, I need to leave. It's kind of creepy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Bran's talking about how she looks so beautiful on her wedding night. Right. And that just makes you kind of uncomfortable, especially cause that, that night was a bad one for Sansa. First of many bad days and nights to come when she was married to Ramsey Bolton. So I'm sure she's not appreciating being reminded of it. Yeah. But isn't it weird that Sansa just leaves poor, you know, a uh, crippled Bran at the weirwood tree by himself in the middle of winter? Like how's he getting back? Well, I mean, maybe she's just giving her brother more credit. You know, he survived everything that he survived to get back here in the first place. He can make it back into the castle. He can. He seems like he's got this. Maybe she's going to like just tell someone, can you go pick up Bran? Jan! Jan! (laughs) Hey, Jan! (laughs) Jan. Go pick up Bran from the Weirwood tree! Pick up! 
Where's Littlefinger? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll be right on that. Yeah, he's got he's got things he wants Do to talk about. Do every errand. Yeah. That Sansa tells you to. Yeah. Pick up every article of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go back to the Citadel. And uh, we have our uh, Archmaester Ebros. He is inspecting Jorah Mormont. He's poking around and looking at the the remnants of what has been picked off of him. And it seems like uh, like Sam has done the trick. And so he asks Jorah if it hurts says it hurts a little bit, but a lot less than before. And uh, Ebros thinks that the infection is no longer active, which to me is shocking considering what we saw of the operation of the removal of the grayscale. And according to the Archmaester, Jorah Mormont was going to be leaving after one night. So is this the next day? I'm not sure, but they really give Jorah like a clean bill of health real quick. Like, it's like, well, I don't see any more grayscale, but maybe we should keep you here for observation for another couple of days. I love Jorah Mormont. Do not get me wrong. Don't get it twisted. Ian Glenn twisted. as Jorah Mormont, an unsung hero in Game of Thrones, or at least not sung about enough. Uh, great character, great actor, has had some phenomenal scenes along the way. But there is this strange plot armor around Jorah Mormont that I'm not sure I fully understand. Like the fact that he is going to be able to lick the grayscale thing so quickly. Uh, don't lick the grayscale. Yeah, don't lick the grayscale thing, <laughs> That's first mm. of all. Uh, that he's going to get rid of it so fast uh, once he comes into contact with Sam. And the fact that he's going to like make it to, to the big episode beyond the wall and he's going to survive there what are they waiting for what is jorah's purpose in this thing it's very hard for me to see where does he factor into the end game he just feels like a character that uh there's a lot of reasons to think that he's not going to survive like he's one of those characters that could you know very easily like sacrifice himself for some greater good he would gladly die for the cause like he's like uh, dying to die for the cause yeah, he 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 would hop on the grenade to save everybody from Chucky's plan in Child's Play. Well, if he like, could save this is, Danny from uh, yeah. you know from anything, he would do it though for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they removed his grayscale and they had him survive beyond the wall, which I was really sure that would be the spot. And so you know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but through the seventh season finale, he's still alive, and it make, kind of makes me wonder. Like, I feel like Jorah Mormont is going to survive Game of Thrones. You think so? I mean, like, would they have removed his grayscale otherwise? He's got to take a bullet for Danny. And so this was all for just, I don't know, just to clean him up a little bit more so he could, like, be back in Danny's good graces before that happened? Maybe. I guess. I don't know. I mean, when was it? Season five that he got the grayscale? And, yes. and uh, I know that that was somebody else's story in the book. Yeah, I mean, is, it, is it possible that they that they gave him that as a storyline but then they was like oh this was a mistake yeah i don't think that's impossible so yeah i don't know i mean look if all we got out of it was the scene where sam is operating on jorah mormont for like maximum squeamish value uh i'm glad that that exists on game of thrones it's so gross and it's such an excellent job by the makeup department and the special effects team um but just in terms of the plot i guess i just i don't fully understand why we went through all of this mm. Okay. All right. So, Josh, we then see uh, Sam 
uh, is going to be getting uh, a handshake from Jorah. I mean, Sam is very confident in his work. Yeah. Well, Sam is a very confident guy these days. Yeah. You know what I thought was weird also in the last episode that Jorah was like writing a letter to Daenerys and like wasn't wearing gloves or anything. I'm like, uh, dude, you're going to send your grayscale to the Khaleesi. Oh, man. Yeah. It's like a secret mail. Yeah. Right. Oh, uh, easy with that. OK. Um, but yeah, they're so confident in that. The, you know, oh, he's totally cured and Sam shakes his hand. Yeah. And so he sends Jorah back out into the into the universe. You're free to go. He's free to go. Yeah. Again, it seems like so, so, so rushed. But uh, so Sam feels like uh, he's going to hear it from Archmaester Ebros. Yeah. And the Archmaester is very impressed with uh, Sam's skills that he read a book and followed instructions. And that was that. Uh, and he says, that man is alive because of you. You should be proud. And Sam is proud. He's very proud. Uh, but if Sam thought he was going to get a promotion for this, He's no. in for something else. Come on, knock it off. Uh, go start uh, transcribing all the manuscripts and uh, watch out for uh, the paper mites because they bite. I mean, I guess that this is a better job than what he had been doing before. Like now at least he has access to books. You know, it's a it's a crappy job, but it's not, not as crappy as yeah. the last crappy job. That was that was uh, definitely on every level more crappy. Yes. Okay. All right, uh, let's talk about our uh, big uh, battle sequence that we're going to get into here in this episode. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to see everybody is at Dragonstone and they're at the table, at the war table, and they're talking about how uh, they're, they're going to start invading Casterly Rock pretty soon. This is really well done. I, I, I really did appreciate this. Uh, I feel like I, I enjoyed this more than a lot of the other battle sequences that we get on Game of Thrones. Talk me through it. Tell me why. Uh, I just like that the, the the narration, sometimes I feel like that the battle sequences, they do go on a, a, for a long time. And I feel like that you start to get a little numb to it after, you know, a, a couple minutes of the fighting where uh, I just really like Tyrion. Uh, I mean, the, the dink is great. He talks us through it. You know, there's twists and turns. And, you know, I don't need to see, you know, uh, 15 minutes of, you know, the unsullied fighting random Lannisters. I, I just really liked how they, you know, gave us the important details, uh, kept the, you know, main characters part of it. And then, you know, the big twist on the end of how the Lannisters outfox them. Yeah, I, I think I like it more on a rewatch than I did at the time. I think I was pretty bored by it at the time or felt it was anticlimactic because it's the first time we're seeing Casterly Rock and we get through it relatively quickly. Um, I think on second watch, I think it's it, it improves for me because we know that there's going to be some really fun battle sequences coming up after this episode. Um, and also just this episode in general is filled with so much great stuff. There's just so many great scenes. Uh, almost every single scene before this is an A-plus scene. Mm -hmm. um so it, there's already been so much happening in this one hour that has been really enjoyable to watch and you're right i think to have sort of this unusually structured at least as far as game of thrones is concerned battle sequence um helps out a lot uh it's fun and and even though it doesn't work out the way Tyrion envisioned it 
it is a great monologue from from uh, from the dink as he's talking about how, uh, you know, my father built our house up from ruin. He built the army, he built Casterly Rock, but he didn't build the sewers. That was a job that was beneath him. Speaking of crappy jobs. So he gave the job to Tyrion. And so Tyrion knows the sewers. And so he can sneak people in that way. Uh, and that ends up being uh, the key to, to conquering Casterly Rock. But the other piece of it is that there's not much to conquer because Cersei Lannister has anticipated some conflict at Casterly Rock. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it's a great, you know, uh, you know, rope a dope that we go on because it feels like, okay, we've got them right where we want. And then uh, we have Grey Worm ultimately saying, hey, where's everybody else? Shouldn't there be more? Where is everybody? And then uh, here comes Euron Greyjoy from behind. Yeah. And they're going to take out the rest of uh, the ships, the fleet. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's uh, tough stuff for the uh, team Daenerys taking a, a, another defeat. Yeah. It's not been a great arrival to Westeros so far. Yeah. Meanwhile... Uh, we see then the, the Lannister army where they are, and they're in dur, Highgarden. Dur, 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 yeah, it's a real triumphant Reigns of Castamere that's playing as uh, Jamie rolls up on Highgarden. He's got Bronn with him, first Bronn sighting of the season. Uh, he's got the Tarleys in tow. Uh, and he is uh, he's conquered Highgarden and Highgarden is sitting on all of this money. So all this money is going to get back to Cersei and it's going to get back to the Iron Bank. So decent bet made by Tycho. Hmm. He doesn't That's make real, bets. Doesn't make real bets. takeaway. OK. Uh, I love the shots of Jamie walking through Highgarden. Yeah. How it just how it just like keeps like editing around like his his journey from like walking through the gate to getting into the room with Elena uh, and it's all like the same shot of just over the shoulder of Nikolai Kosterwaldo. I, I love that. That's one of my favorite sequences of, uh, of the episode. I love this scene with Jamie and uh, Lady Elena so much. It's great. It's great because it's it's true to to Lady Elena and and a really a really solid way of writing her off the show where she doesn't get to go out completely on her own terms. But if she's going to go out, she's going to have the last laugh. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the fact that she is able to go out opposite a Lannister where even if Cersei is not in the room, Cersei is very much in the room, you know, theoretically, like she's the, she's the main topic of conversation. So I think that they, they did a really good job of closing out this character. And I think it's, it's instructive, hopefully for how some of these character arcs might close out in the final season is like just in a way that's, that doesn't quite meet what your expectations were. But when you look at the scene from, you know, a couple of steps back, you're like, Oh, that connects to, to this, this connects to that. That makes a lot of sense. I love, the way that they write out Lady Elena. Yeah, and uh, her final scene is a great one, too. It's just so good. It's so good where she and, and Jamie are just, you know, she's never really traded wits with Jamie Lannister. Uh, you know, he's not as good at it as his other siblings. Um, but it's it's still, it's it's great because it's cutting to the core of Jamie. It's getting Jamie himself to probably internally question some of the things that's going to lead him to leave Cersei by the end of the season. Uh, where she's talking, of, you know, she's talking about how, like, you really do love your sister. You really are a fanatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved when uh, she asks him, uh, did we fight well? Yeah. As well as can be expected. Mm. It's like, eh, it was fine. It was like, fine. Ah. 
<laughs> you know, uh, golden rose. What do we know about that? Um, yeah. uh, but I, I just, I, that I, I love the, so many twists and turns that this takes where, uh, you know, she's like, she's ready to, you know, uh, you know, let's get into this. Like, uh, let's talk about your relationship with Cersei. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, if she's going to go, then at least she can, she can, uh, she can maybe try and impart some advice and maybe, maybe do either some damage here or at least change a heart or mind or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I loved it when uh, she asks uh, about the sword. Like, hey, is it, wasn't that Joffrey's sword? Yeah, what did he call it? Uh, Widow's Whale. Like, oh, yeah, he really was a C word. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just say that in front of who she knows is uh, the mm-hmm. kid's father. It's just it's it's intense. Yeah, but she talks about her regret also that you know the thing about Cersei was you know I just I never imagined that she would go to the lengths that she went. That was my failure. Yeah, a failure of imagination. I think is just such a great turn of phrase, uh, and absolutely right. Like, I mean, I don't, th- I, and I think all along the way, um, you know, through the journey of Game of Thrones, even we as an audience often uh, shared the view of so many people in the world of just like kind of underestimating Cersei of like, oh, she'll never be able to pull anything off, and she pulls off the biggest mass execution of any main character in the show, uh, in the Sept of Baylor attack, uh, and everything that's happening now is is pretty. Ridiculous ridiculous as well uh so for for elena to articulate that i I love the way that she says and she says you know she's a monster and jamie's like trying to to justify that like do you think that anyone like once we are you know reigning peacefully over the seven realms is anyone going to be wringing their hands over the way we got there uh Mm -hmm. and like you you get the sense that like even jamie like does he really buy what he's trying to sell here when Jamie ends up leaving Cersei at the end of season seven, do you think that this conversation is weighing on him? I would imagine that, you know, there's a certain element where he has to be recognizing the horrors that Cersei is capable of. I think there's that moment of recognition even in the end of season six when he comes back from the Riverlands where he sees her on the throne. So I think it's something that's on his mind, but something he doesn't want to face. And between this moment with Lady Elena, I think that's going to help him get there. But I think once he sees the the proof positive of the White Walker threat at the end of the season and to see that Cersei, even in the face of that, is going to turn away. I think for a guy like him who killed a king but only did it because it was going to save tons of lives um for a guy like jamie it's inexcusable at that point um so i think that this helps him for sure i don't know if it's the you know the the biggest part of it but i think that without this conversation with lady elena he's gonna have a harder time getting to the point i think somebody as like straightforward as lady elena just giving you the straight talk in a moment where there's really nothing left to lose she's already lost i feel like these words are going to echo in your head after that and so Jamie is going to uh, reveal the uh, the plan to Lady Elena. She wants to know how's it going to go. He has just a vial of poison. And uh, now, did they get Cersei on board with this? I don't know. Uh, he he talked. He says he talked her out of all of these different terrible ways to kill Lady Elena. That does not uh, sound like the Cersei I know. You know, maybe after a while, like Cersei just wanted to get Jamie out of the room. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so she's got the vial of poison. She takes it instantly. She drinks it. Yeah. No pain. It's going to be easy. 
but then she lives ja- leaves Jamie with some some painful closing remarks. Yes, uh, and she says that she would hate to go out the way that Joffrey did, the Joff. Yeah, she takes responsibility for for the for the purple wedding where she says, like, I'm glad this poison isn't painful. I'd hate to die like your son. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible day. That was not at all what I intended. I'd mm. never seen the poison work before. And Jamie's just like quaking with rage. Mm-hmm. And Lady Elena says, Tell Cersei, I want her to know it was me. Mm-hmm. He never does. No, he lets her know. Oh, does he? He lets okay. her know. I don't I don't remember that. Yeah, how does Cersei take it? Up, how does Cersei uh, take it? You know, she doesn't kill him. Okay. That's an improvement in, in mood. Yeah. So does the title, The Queen's Justice, possibly refer to the Queen of Thorns? Is there an interpretation of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think you just interpreted it that the way. Three queens. Yeah. Uh, in like this it. episode. It's Daenerys, great. Cersei, and the Queen of Thorns. Uh, rest in peace. Ah, uh, such a great character. Diana Rigg as this character is just one of the best. Truly one of the best. There's so many great characters on this show. This is one of them. Really, yeah. really top notch. She's she's uh, one of my all time favorites. So I I'm feel sa- like uh, she yeah. doesn't have a bad scene. I'm sad that she's gone. I think that they wrote her out perfectly. You know, there's only a few episodes left to go. You got to start writing some of these people out. The only thing we can ask for is that they get written out as well as the Queen of Thorns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's few characters on the show that you could say that of uh, that they uh, don't have a, you know, dud scene or a plot line along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... She brings it every time she's on yeah, the screen. Yeah, she really did. She really. She even made like she has the best high sparrow scene. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, aside from the one where he dies, but like outside of that, like she has the best one. Yeah. Okay, and that is uh, the Queen's Justice. All right, so we are uh, we are on tap for for some battle in next week's episode, the Spoils of War. Mm-hmm. Spoils of War, halfway mark in season seven. Yeah, we're getting through it. We're cutting through. Next episode is going to be the loot train battle, not the loot crate battle. We're going to see all of that. Arya is going to return to Winterfell. There's going to be more shenanigans on Dragonstone. Mm -hmm. Jon Snow is going to see Theon for the first time in a long time, if I remember right. Yeah, it's all happening. Yep. It's all happening. Closing in on the season seven finale and the ultimate return of Game of Thrones. What's that return date, Josh? April 14th. April 14th. Mark your calendar. Right marker on my calendar. Okay. Of course, uh, you can follow everything that Josh Wiggler is doing over at THR.com slash Game of Thrones. Uh, Final season uh, teaser hints at a happy ending. Yeah. Happy ending for Game of Thrones. I think for for Arya Stark, I think that there's uh, there's a you know, I've been I've had grim predictions about Arya Stark. And uh, if you'll read the article, I think that there's like maybe a potentially a, a, a positive spin on what we see from her seeing a dragon in uh, in this little spot. Listen, I'm really I'm trying to do what I can here. OK, you think we, we that potentially Aria will fly off uh, into the uh, the sunset on a dragon at the end of Game of Thrones. That's the final oh my shot. God, I mean, come on. What's west of Westeros? Let's yeah. go find out. Yeah. And then they play like the Drogon. The, they play the never ending story theme mm-hmm. song. Yeah. Say Great. my name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the All no right. one. The no one. Yes. 
Uh, the Game of Thrones collectible series brings winter to baseball. Don't ask me about that one. Okay. No. I don't okay. want to talk about that okay. on the record. All right. Uh, find out. Such a tease. Okay. All right. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sestrino. We've got great coverage of uh, season nine of The Walking Dead, continuing plus coverage of Star Trek Discovery up at postshowrecaps.com. Hope you have a good one. We'll talk to you next time. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. 